0: On Palm Sunday, we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and ultimately into the temple. The pilgrimage of Christ has come to an end. The caravan has reached its destination. And so Jesus leads a procession seated upon a donkey, a symbol of peace, as the people wave palm branches and lay down their garments and shout words of blessing to their king. For a fleeting moment, it seems as though the crowds get it all right. And yet it all happens against the backdrop of an impending crucifixion. The death of Israel's long-awaited Messiah and King at the hands of the Romans, but at the behest of the very people he came to deliver. The prophets plead with the people, Behold, your King is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. But like the prophets, that king winds up dead. So so what's the meaning of this narrative whiplash? Because come Friday, the triumphal entry is not going to look very triumphant. Holy Week resembles one of those um, SpaceX rocket launches you may have seen on YouTube, where everything appears to be going great, and then it comes crashing down in a ball of fire. So so what are we to take away from Palm Sunday? Let's begin by considering a recurring biblical character, the donkey. The donkey is a lowly beast of burden. There is nothing particularly majestic about the donkey. In the words of G.K. Chesterton, the donkey is the devil's walking parody on all four-footed things. And yet, time after time, throughout the history of God's kingdom, donkeys are present at pivotal moments. And they're consistently associated with kingship. So before we get into the Gospel of Luke today, I'm going to share a couple stories from the Old Testament book of Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 1, King David is very old and nearing the end of his life. And everyone knows it. And so Adonijah, one of David's sons, attempts to claim the throne for himself. However, David had not named Adonijah as his successor. And so David calls calls on his advisors and he orchestrates a spectacle involving one of his other sons, Solomon. The spectacle is intended to demonstrate And to make clear for all the people who David is actually choosing as his successor. And so Solomon, the son of David, is placed upon the king's mule. In case you're wondering, a mule is the offspring of a male donkey and a female horse. Solomon is placed upon the king's mule and anointed with oil by the priest. And they blow a trumpet and all the people shout, long live King Solomon. And as Solomon rides that mule into Jerusalem, the crowd follows behind him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy. And so Solomon rides into Jerusalem with great fanfare in order to demonstrate and to make clear for all the people the true identity of the true king of Israel. Now, about a century after the reign of King Solomon, there was a man named Jehu. Jehu was chosen as king. And the events surrounding his coronation are recorded in 2 Kings chapter 9. Jehu was a mighty conqueror. He was a hyper-violent captain in the Israelite army. But with the blessing of Elisha, Jehu was anointed king. And he is anointed king for a violent purpose. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anoint you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel, and you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord, for the whole house of Ahab shall perish. And when the rest of the Israelite army heard that Jehu had been anointed as king, every soldier, down to the very last man, removed his garment and placed it on the ground before him. This was the ancient version of rolling out the red carpet. Um, and, and they blow a trumpet and they all shout, Jehu is king! So here we have yet another coronation scene. And yet there's a major difference between Solomon and Jehu. Following the coronation of Solomon, that newly anointed king went on to build a temple to the one true God. And following the coronation of Jehu, that newly, appoint, newly anointed king destroyed a temple to a false god. So Solomon built a temple, Jehu destroyed a temple. Now, long after the triumphal entry of Solomon and long after Jehu's red carpet treatment, God gave the prophet Zechariah a vision of the end of Israel's exile. And that vision involved the return of the Davidic king to Jerusalem. Israel is going to know that her exile is truly ended when she sees the son of David riding a donkey into Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I think Zechariah definitely had Solomon in mind when he wrote this. And I think Jesus definitely had Zechariah in mind when he orchestrated his triumphal entry. Luke 19, verse 29. When Jesus drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, that's the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. There are so many significant details within these three verses. Uh, Bethpage, Bethany, the Mount of Olives, sending of two disciples, the fact that the donkey had never been ridden, and so on. But the overall point is this. Jesus is intentionally orchestrating a very specific scene so that when the people of Jerusalem see it, they will understand the point that he is making. Jesus is finally ready to be publicly recognized as the long-awaited Messiah, the one Zechariah was talking about, the son of David who possesses righteousness and salvation, the humble king mounted upon a donkey. He is marching into Jerusalem and not so subtly claiming authority over the authorities there. But he comes riding on an animal that is not equipped for warfare. And so he comes gloriously, but he comes in a state of vulnerability. And so in that sense, Jesus is the anti he was he, he has not come to lead a violent revolution. But in another sense, Jesus is the true Jehu. Look at verse 35. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And so the people are laying down their garments. It's a symbol of submission and prostration. And it indicates that Jesus, like Jehu, is on his way to fight a great battle. In fact, many of these people are expecting Jesus to overthrow the Roman oppressors and fully restore the people of Israel to their land. That's what Jehu would have done. They aren't expecting Jesus to condemn their temple, which ironically is also very much like Jehu. Again, Solomon built a temple. Jehu destroyed a temple. And Jesus ultimately does both. But of course, the battle that Jesus has come to fight is not the sort of battle that requires a trained army or the use of a war horse. The battle that Jesus has come to fight is a battle that looks like weakness and foolishness to anyone with a war horse. But it's the only type of battle that can truly undermine the violent forces of darkness. It's a spiritual battle. A battle in the spiritual realm against spiritual forces and it, and it takes the form of nonviolence and humility and sacrifice. And we're still fighting that same battle, by the way. We're still fighting using the same methods. Verse 37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives toward Jerusalem. And again, he deliberately orchestrates this scene that would have looked very familiar To the people, especially to the religious leaders. The coronation march of Jesus was intentionally designed to resemble the coronation march of Solomon. We've seen that Jesus is the greater Jehu. His followers give him the red carpet treatment as he marches into the battle that's facing him. But Jesus is also the greater Solomon the greater son of David who rides a donkey into Jerusalem to demonstrate and to make clear for all the people the true identity of the true king of Israel. In no uncertain terms, Jesus is publicly declaring his kingship. The true son of David has come to take his rightful throne. And the crowd rejoices. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Again, they knew what Jesus was doing. The point he was making was not lost on them. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if my disciples were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, no matter what Jesus meant by that, it was a pretty cool thing to say. Um, but I think this is probably a reference to Habakkuk chapter 2, where God is pronouncing judgment upon the house of Israel, upon the temple. And remember, Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees, to the Israelite authorities. This is Habakkuk 2. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. The very stones will cry out. Again, Habakkuk was talking about the stones that built the temple, and I think Jesus is doing the same. In other words, the temple itself is a witness to the kingship of Christ. The temple itself is a witness against the pride of any who would reject him. The temple knows the truth, even if the temple officials do not. And so there are basically two ways to respond to Jesus on Palm Sunday. You can respond pridefully like the Pharisees. You can persist in your hubris. You can cling to your autonomy. You can go on pretending to be the gatekeeper of truth or the master of your own destiny. And when the king comes, you can refuse to to bend the knee. Or so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And so we say, blessed is the king. Take your rightful throne, Lord. You need my donkey? Take my donkey. Do you need my garment? I I lay everything at your feet. Take my authority. I will gladly decrease. I will gladly submit. If it means that you're king, I will gladly lay down my authority. There are two ways to respond to Jesus on Palm Sunday. And so to summarize, Jesus is the greater Jehu, the anointed king of Israel. His followers give him the red carpet treatment as he marches into battle and he defeats his enemies and he condemns the temple. And Jesus is also the greater Solomon, the son of David who rides a donkey into Jerusalem to demonstrate and to make clear for all the people the true identity of the true king of Israel. And like Solomon, Jesus builds a temple, the church. Now, to close, I want to share one more donkey story. It's a story that dovetails, I think, perfectly into what awaits Jesus later this week. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham rises early in the morning and saddles his donkey and leads his son Isaac up Mount Moriah. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he laid it upon Isaac. And Isaac said, where's the lamb? And Abraham replied, God will provide the lamb. You see, Jesus is the greater Jehu, the greater Solomon, the greater Isaac, and of course, the greater Lamb of God. God has provided. Like Isaac, Jesus is the son of promise, miraculously born and beloved. But he is also the son of sacrifice. Not only did he carry the wood up the mountain toward his own death. But the father laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You see, there's, there's really no need, I don't think, to reconcile Palm Sunday and Good Friday. This is, this is not a story of triumph followed by defeat. This is a story of triumph followed by triumph. Jesus was king on the donkey and Jesus was king on the cross. Palm Sunday strikes a chord that resonates throughout the rest of this week. The chord resonates in harmony as he washes the feet of his disciples. And the chord resonates in harmony as he enjoys that final meal with them. And the chord continues resonating through the discord and dissonance of betrayal and abandonment and trial and torture and death. Palm Sunday strikes a chord that resonates and resonates and resonates and never fully resolves until Easter morning as Jesus triumphs over death and all the spiritual forces of dark. See, the triumphal entry cannot hold a candle to the glory of the triumphal resurrection. But more on that next week. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for reigning over us in wisdom and righteousness and love. And we thank you for giving your son, the greater Isaac, for our sake. Jesus, blessed are you, the anointed king, son of David, son of God, we gladly submit to your reign. We long to see the nations do the same. Holy Spirit, may we we respond to the coming of the king with humility and not pride. Teach us to bend the knee every day and in every way. And may this week and the manner in which we observe it Bring glory to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.